Bible reading is going to be Mark chapter 15, starting at verse 21. If you do have one of our Bibles, it's going to be on page 719. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it, and they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross, that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani? which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joses, and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joses, saw where he was laid. Thanks, Will. Please keep your Bibles open there to Mark 15. I'm going to pray for us as we come to God's Word. Loving Father and Almighty God, we thank you so much for your Word, the Bible, in all its truth. Uh, Lord, this time of the year, we particularly thank you for Jesus and his willing sacrifice for us. And we pray now that we'll be able to uh, clear our minds and really focus on your word for this next 20 minutes or so. Uh, Please work in our hearts, convicting us of the truth of Jesus' death and resurrection for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So it was my turn two weeks ago to have the dreaded COVID along with my wife, Lara, and two of our kids 
Um, Edie had it two months ago, so we've all had a turn now, the last couple of months. None of us were particularly sick. Uh, I felt pretty crook from the kind of neck down for a couple of days, had a rest in bed. Lara was more neck up with the sinus stuff going on and had some antibiotics, and she's okay. Um, And like most kids, our kids had pretty mild symptoms, which was good. Six million people have died from COVID to date around the world, which is about 5% of total deaths in the last couple of years. Um, it's not nothing. It's not minor. It's, it's major. It's a major, it's been a major pandemic. And aside from the sickness, um, the disruption to life has been at times quite asphyxiating. The toll on our mental health and our children's mental health will be feeling it and reeling from it for years, I'd suggest. That's what the experts are saying. COVID has taken our breath away, not just physically, but practically, emotionally, Perhaps even for you spiritually, perhaps your spiritual life has suffered uh, these past couple of years. For the first time in a long time, I think, since maybe uh, Vietnam War or something like that, Aussies have really been confronted with their own mortality, uh, the reality that we will die and we could possibly even die young. Now more than ever before, I think, at least in a long time, people are asking the big questions of life. What's life all about? Is there really a God in heaven? Does he really love me? Has he got any interest in me? People are asking big questions again, and a recent survey has revealed that. Why are we here? Who's actually in control of all of this? Who's the one who gives life and love? Who's the one who gives breath? And who's the one who takes it away? And the resounding answer, friends, is... God. God is the one who gives breath and God is the one who takes it away. If you're expecting some sort of spectacular message this morning, I'm sorry to say that this ordinary preacher has a simple message for you this Easter, which is God gives breath and God takes it away. But I want to add, if you dwell on this truth that it is God who gives breath and God who takes it away, It will change your life in extraordinary ways now and also into eternity. So we're going to think about this concept this morning of God giving breath and God taking it away. I don't know if you realise, but the Bible is, in essence, a love story. It's a love story. The greatest love story ever told. I mean, what are some of the other great love stories... The greatest love stories ever told always involve an unlikely union, don't they? Two lovers who are unlikely to come together. Romeo and Juliet were were part of two different houses, two factions who hated each other, but they came together in this great love story. Pride and Prejudice, there's this big class divide between the two families, but they fall in love. Anyway, they come together. Perhaps the Twilight series, (laughs) we've got a race divide. I've never watched the Twilight series. No judgment on anyone who loves the Twilight series, but it's not me. Um, but there's this great love story that's you know, a vampire and a human. Can't happen, but it does. God loves his people. He loves us. And we see that from the very beginning of the Bible. But there's this enormous problem, this huge difference between us and him. It's an unlikely love, an improbable love that God has because we are sinners. We sin. And he isn't a sinner. He doesn't sin. 
So there's a big problem, there's a big divide that God's love needs to bridge. And it's not easy to do. It's a huge divide. I want to take you back to the very beginning of mankind's existence this morning to see how human life began and to see the intimate love of a holy God for humanity created in his image. In Genesis chapter 2, it's on the screen, we read, The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. It's really deliberate and intimate, isn't it? God has infinite power. He could have just thought the man into existence or spoken the man into existence, but that's not what he did. He, he formed Adam from the dust of the ground and then breathed out from himself life into Adam. Then he gave Adam a grand garden to tend and care for, and it became very apparent very quickly that Adam couldn't do it all on his own. He needed help. So God gave him a woman made from his side to help him, the first marriage. And then he told the man and the woman to multiply, to make more people to help them to tend the garden. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over it lovingly, as I rule over you lovingly. And so the cycle of life continued. Adam and Eve had children who had children and so on. People were made to breathe to have life and life in abundance, life to the full, it says in John's Gospel. Most importantly, people were made to enjoy this wonderful union with God as well as one another. They were made not to have the stresses and strains and sin and sickness and anxiety of the life that we all endure. We were made to have this enjoyable, easy free life with God, which is what Adam and Eve enjoyed for a time. I'm not sure how long. It's not clear how long they enjoyed this sin-free, perfect relationship with God in the garden. But tragedy struck. And it's unclear how long it was before they sinned. But they decided to disobey God. They decided to deceive him. It's a tragedy. And it creates a conflict between them and God. The love story becomes a tragedy. Look at the screen. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She gave some to her husband who was with her. Stupidly, he ate it as well. Then the eyes of both of them were open. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and tried to make coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God. He was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Isn't that a beautiful picture? The Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And sadly, for the first time in their lives, they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God, Lord God called to the man, where are you? Again, there's this intimate picture of the Lord God walking with them in the garden in the cool of the evening, looking for the ones he loves to see what they're up to. And tragically, they know they've deceived him. They feel the shame for the first time in their lives and they hide from God because they know they've wronged him. They've disobeyed. They've sinned. Because of their sin in love, 
God casts them out of the garden. He casts them out of his presence. He must, because he's a perfect, sinless, holy God, and they have now sinned. They've become sinners. Sinful people cannot coexist with a perfect and holy God. The Bible's clear that the punishment for sin is death. To reject the author of life, the giver of breath, is to choose death, choose breathlessness. It could have ended, and in many respects should have ended, right there for mankind. But what kind of a love story would that be? Fast forward several thousand years and we find ourselves at the foot of the cross. In the mud and the blood, we find the ultimate act of a loving God for his wayward people. Friends, if you want to see a real love story, read the Old Testament. You'll see a God who time and time again brings back, draws back his wayward people to himself. God longs to dwell, to live with his people who he loves, but time and again, they disobey him and turn away from him. And time and again, he draws them back. And his ultimate act of bringing people who he loves back to himself is at the cross. And we see still, even at the cross, the sin of humanity on full display. Look at the way the people are behaving, even at the cross. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, the praetorium, called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, twisted together a crown of thorns and shoved it on his head. They called out to him, Hail, King of the Jews, hail. Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff, spit on him. Falling on their knees, they mockingly paid homage to him. And when they'd mocked him, they took off the purple robe, put his own clothes on him, then they led him out to crucify him. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads, saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the Bible teachers, mocked him among themselves. Saved others, can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross so we'll see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Even at the cross, the sin of humanity, the rejection of Jesus is on full display. As the saviour of all who believe is mocked and insulted, beaten and abused by those he came to save. But remember, this was God's plan. And Jesus was willing to endure it for your sake and for mine, out of love. Ultimately, it was only through the sacrifice of God's one and only Son, truly God himself, that God was going to find a way to rebuild the perfect relationship with us that he enjoyed all that time ago in the garden. And despite the mocking and the insults, Jesus is in full control. Look at verse 33. It's on the screen. Imagine you were there. Imagine a day like today, this bright sunny day, and you're standing here watching this scene. And maybe you're not throwing insults or anything. You're just kind of astonished at what's going on. 
At midday, a couple of hours' time, darkness came over the whole land, like pitch blackness, until three in the afternoon. At three in the afternoon, out of the dark, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. They got him something to drink. They left him alone. And in verse 37, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. Jesus felt the full wrath of the Father upon himself. He felt the wrath for every sin that all who would believe in him, past, present and future, every sin that they've ever committed, millions of sins transferred onto him, onto his broad shoulders, broad, bleeding shoulders. Jesus willingly took our sin upon himself and he was in complete control. He's not a victim. He lovingly, willingly did this for us. He chose the moment when he would die. He chose which breath would be his last. When it says he breathed his last, it means he gave up his breath. Even unto unto death, Jesus was in control. God being a just God does not and will not allow sin to go unpunished. And I love that about God. God is just. He doesn't sweep sins under the rug and just ignore them. But in love, he punishes Jesus in our place. And Jesus is willing to be punished in our place so that we might be forgiven and relationship with God restored. Hence the symbolism of the temple curtain tearing in two. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. The curtain temple in the front of the temple symbolized the separation between people and God. As Jesus died, miraculously, it tore in two. It showed the people that the way to God was now open once again, as it was in the garden, before sin entered the world. Thousands of years, God, in love, pursued his people. And this is the moment when relationship is truly restored between God and man. The moment Jesus gave up his breath was the moment the way to God was opened again. Relationship restored through faith in Jesus God demonstrating his great love for humanity once and for all. And one of the most extraordinary moments in the whole account is there in verse 39. The captain of the Roman guard, the one responsible for making sure Jesus was crucified, making sure Jesus died. His job, probably his life, was on the line as a Roman centurion. He had to make sure Jesus died. Here he is, no Jewish heritage, no Old Testament teaching, as he gazed upon the Lord of the universe, dying on the cross in the darkness, 
He was convicted of the truth of it all. And he said, surely this man was the Son of God. A confession, a repentance, a turning towards Jesus. In Jesus' life, the mob wanted nothing less than Jesus' death. And in his death, the centurion and all who trust and believe in Jesus find nothing less than forgiveness of sins and eternal life. In his life, they wanted his death. In his death, friends, we find life. Friends, COVID's been suffocating in so many ways. Physically, relationally, professionally, socially, psychologically, emotionally. Through faith in Jesus, fresh air through genuine hope is available. Despite the amplified hardships of the past two years, God is in control. Jesus has this world totally in hand. We can breathe easy if our trust is in him. Jesus was in total control of his life, his arrest, his death. And three days later, he was risen again to a glorious new life. Demonstrating to the world once and for all that he is master over sickness, over sin, over the devil, and even over death. Friends, if you're here this morning and you haven't yet understand stood God's love for you before today but now you do can I urge you can I encourage you to accept God's love for you through Jesus and put your trust in him today God sent Jesus to die for you God loves you and his offer of forgiveness is open to all who will trust in Jesus Jesus didn't stay dead, he rose again, and we'll think about that and celebrate that in a couple of days' time. All who put their trust in Jesus will enjoy eternal life with him after they die. So I urge you and plead you, if you haven't accepted God's love for you, please do it today. In just a moment, we'll pray a prayer of repentance and faith. Consider now whether you want to pray that prayer and entrust yourself to him today. And brothers and sisters who've already put their trust in Jesus, will you trust Jesus with your today and your tomorrow and breathe easy once again? Will you remember afresh that Jesus is in control of all things, even in death? He was in control. In life, he's most certainly in control. Breathe easy. The last two years has messed with our heads and our hearts. It can be easy to have forgotten that God is in control amongst the chaos, but he is, even amongst the chaos. He was in the beginning. He was at the cross. He is today. And God loved us deeply at the beginning, intimately. His love was on the full display at the cross, and his love is still available to us today. Remember God's love for you, friends, and breathe easy this Easter and the rest of this year. Friends, for those who want to put their trust in Jesus today, I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and then we're going to partake in the Lord's Supper. 
And if you're ready to put your trust in Jesus today, please partake in the Lord's Supper with us as we celebrate Jesus' death and resurrection for us. I'll read the prayer out, and then I'll ask everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes in a moment. Here's the prayer. The prayer is simple. It says, Dear God, I know I am weak, but you are strong. I know I am a sinner, but you are holy. Please forgive me for my sin. Please help me to entrust my life to Jesus. Please help me to live my life for you from this day forward. Amen. So that's the prayer. If you want to pray that prayer in the quietness of your mind and say amen, today is the day where you'll receive God's love for you through Jesus. So everyone bow their heads and close their eyes and I'll pray this prayer. If you want to become a Christian, please pray this prayer with me and say amen at the end. Dear God, I know I am weak, but you are strong. I know I am a sinner, and you are holy. Please forgive me for my sin. Please help me to entrust my life to Jesus. Please help me to live my life for you from this day forward. Amen. Friends, if you just sincerely prayed that prayer for the first time, the angels in heaven are rejoicing, for you have entered the kingdom of heaven. You are a child of God. You are saved. And the hope of eternity is yours. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time today, I'd love to know about it so that I can support you in what to do next. So what I'm going to do is not single you out, but ask everyone, for the sake of those who just put their trust in Jesus, could everyone take their phones out and could everyone scan the QR code on the screen or on your handout? And if you've just put your trust in Jesus today, please fill out the form and let me know if you're a Christian already or you're new or visiting or not yet ready to put your trust in Jesus, say hi, give me any feedback you want to give me. Um, but let's all fill out the form together. And if you put your trust in Jesus, please, please let me know. I would love to follow you up really soon. That's exciting news. So we'll fill out this form now. And in just a moment, we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And again, if you've put your trust in Jesus, please celebrate the Lord's Supper with us as we remember him.